Hi there, everyone. For those of you who are new here, I'm uh, Chris Dirks, the main teaching pastor here. And last week, I started a, a, a little two-part mini-series. Today, I'm going to finish that on the life of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the big story there of the golden statue in the fiery furnace. And we didn't get through the whole story last week, and uh, so I'm going to finish that uh, this week. But last week, over the course of going through the story, uh, we looked at a couple of really important things. First of all, what are some of the components of what real faith is? And, uh, and then we ended the message with, you know, how do you get that kind of faith? How do uh, regular people like, like us here today and you and me and, and everybody here, how do regular people like us come to have a fiery furnace faith just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who are also uh, regular people? And I think that's just a hugely important topic. But today I want to carry on in that story. And I want to look uh, today, the, the thing I want to tackle today is what is the core of what faith is? So last week we looked at some of the important components of faith. How do you get that kind of faith? But today I want to look at the heart. What is the heart? What is it about faith that makes faith faith? What is the bare essential core of what faith is? Lots of people have all kinds of different ideas about what faith is and what it can do and, and what it means to have faith. But what is the bare essential core? If we were going to strip everything away, boil it down to its barest essential, what is faith? All right, so let's pray, and then we will get into it. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you again for your word. I thank you for these stories that encourage and instruct us and give us hope and help us to persevere. And I just pray that your Holy Spirit would speak in our hearts and in our minds as we go through this story here again today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So let's go back, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll just kind of backtrack and, and do a little bit of what we did at the end of last, last week in terms of the verses and stuff, and then we'll get to the part, uh, the, you know, the ending of the story at the end of the message. But picking up again, Daniel chapter 3, verse 13, and here we are with the Shadrach and Meshach are, and Abednego are just being brought to Nebuchadnezzar and, and being threatened with the fiery furnace, and so we pick up the story again. Then Nebuchadnezzar in furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? And again, we've, we read this last week and we looked at a number of things in here. But now we get to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's response. And they are showing us here what faith is. And we want to look here in the response at some things we didn't get to last week that show us the core, the heart, the bare essentials of what makes faith faith. All right, so here we go. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Okay, and I'll just stop there for just a moment, and we look, because we looked at this last week, one of the primary components of what faith is, is believing that God is able to deliver you from anything and anyone in any circumstance you're in. Part of what faith is, an important part of what faith is, is having this perspective burned into your heart that God is bigger. Not just knowing in your head this, but being convinced in your heart that it changes the way you live, that whatever it is that's coming against you or whatever circumstance or trial that you're in, God is bigger. And then you're not intimidated uh, by it, okay? So that's an important part of what faith is, but it's not the bare essential 
core. It's not the boil it down to the, to the main essential element. And it's in the next line that we're going to find the bare essential core, the root, the heart of what faith is. So let's keep reading now, verse 18. But if not, okay, I love that line. But if not, they say, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. But if not, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say. So they start by saying, our God is able to deliver us from this fiery furnace. And that is certainly a huge, important core of what faith is. It's being convinced the core of your being that God is bigger, more powerful, more glorious than whatever it is that you're going through. That's hugely important because then you won't be intimidated by, by whatever it is you're going through. But that isn't the bare, essential core, the heart of what faith is. We find the heart right here with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they say, but even if he doesn't, even if God doesn't deliver us, he's able to deliver us, He's able to heal us. He's able to get us out of this situation. But even if he doesn't, we still will not bow to your gods, and we still will follow him, and we still will obey him. See, lots of people nowadays, they've gotten this idea. Lots of Christians nowadays have gotten this idea. And most of us, I'm not even just talking about prosperity, you know, kind of word of faith type uh, Christians. I'm talking about all Christians, that we've kind of come to have this definition of faith. When we think about the word faith, we tend to think of faith as a feeling you get when you're praying for something and suddenly you get this, this feeling of confidence that whatever it is you're praying for is going to be answered. And when we think of faith, that's generally what we, what we tend to think of. And so if you're praying for a healing or you're praying for a miracle and during your prayer time as you're praying, suddenly this feeling of strong confidence that it's going to happen, that floods through you and we equate that with faith. Now I want to say this, that certainly is one expression of how faith is expressed. Certainly, I mean, I've had times in my life, and Pastor Ray has shared in his life, and many of you here today, and you know, any person of faith who's walked with God for any amount of time, and, and you, like, you hear God and you walk with him, you have had experiences in your life where you've been praying for something big, you've been praying for a miracle, you've been praying for a healing, you've been praying for something, and as you're praying for that thing, I mean, I can think of, of examples in my life where I was really praying for something, I needed God to, to come through, I needed God to do something, and, and, I, and I can think of different instances in my life where I was in a prayer time praying for big things, and suddenly you just get this feeling of confidence just washes over you that you know God is about to answer your prayers. That certainly is, is certainly one, it's an expression of faith. It is something that happens to people of faith and whenever it happens, it's totally wonderful. Okay, I love that. I absolutely love that. But that isn't what faith is at its core. Faith is not a feeling of confidence that whatever miracle I'm praying for is going to happen. Yes, sometimes we have that experience when we walk with God, and yes, sometimes he does give us healings, and yes, sometimes he does give us miracles, and that's why we love to pray for healings at this church, and that's why we love to pray for miracles here at this church, and it's a wonderful expression of faith that sometimes when you're praying for those big things, that yes, God's going to give you confidence, you're going to hear his voice, you're going to stand on the promise, and you're going to know he's going to do it, and yes, that is an expression of faith, but that is not the bare, essential core and heart of what faith is. The bare essential core, the heart of what faith is, is that even if God doesn't answer my prayers, even if God doesn't come through for me in the way that I'm hoping he comes through, I will still follow him. I will still obey him. He will still be my God. See, true faith, true faith isn't being convinced 
that God is always going to make things all right for you in this lifetime. True faith isn't being convinced that God will never let you crash. True faith isn't, isn't believing that God will never let you go bankrupt. True faith isn't believing that God will never let you get sick or never let you get hurt or never let things go bad or never let you fail. That is not what true faith is. True faith at its core is being so convinced of the reality of who God is in his heavenly kingdom that you are living for a different life, not this one. That's what true faith is. See, true faith is more big picture an expression of faith, when you are convinced of the reality and majesty and glory of God, it sometimes expresses itself as, well, he's going to do this thing for me here, and he's going to do this thing for me here, when he speaks to you, and you know he's going to do those things. Yes, that's faith. Because I just know he's big enough and powerful enough to do this miracle, and he told me he was, so I'm going to believe him for this miracle here on this earth. Okay, that is certainly an expression of faith. But true faith is much more big picture than that. True faith is something that is so focused on the next life that it is willing to leave behind all the healings and comforts and prosperity of this lifetime because it's trying to take hold of reward in the next time. That's what true faith is. I'm so convinced in my heart that God is real and that his heavenly city is real that I actually live every day making choices that I want to store up my reward there rather than here. That's faith. Faith is a forward-looking thing. And I want to prove that to you now. So we're going to jump out of the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego story for just a bit, and then we're going to come back to it later. But I want to prove this to you, because I don't, I don't want to just, because some of you might be thinking, well, you're, you're getting a lot out of one line, you know, but if not, you're getting a lot out of this one line of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and you're defining faith as this thing that's a little different than how a lot of people would define faith today. And so I want to show you that how I'm defining faith for you here, that faith, that faith is almost an obsession. It's a consummation. It's a, it's a conviction that the next life is so real that I'm living for that one instead of this one. It's a little bit of a different way of defining faith than some people tend to do. And so I want to show you that I'm not just making this up. I'm not just, I don't just have a set of glasses I'm trying to read into Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so I want to take a chunk of time now, and we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is, you know, probably one of the most famous, you know, chapters in the whole Bible. It's one of the most motivating ones. Certainly lots of one, probably for a lot of people, uh, a lot of Christians would be one of their favorite ones. It's the, it's, it's the longest, cha- you know, chapter certainly on the topic of faith, like the longest passage. It's, it's just the whole thing is about faith. And it's a famous passage about faith. It's a foundational passage for faith. So I'm going to show you. We're going to go to Hebrews 11 now, and I'm actually going to work my way through the whole chapter. We're basically going to go through every single verse in the entire chapter, and I want to show you the bare, essential, core heart of faith. I'm not making up. The, the, the definition I'm giving to you of what faith is, I'm not making this up. This is directly Hebrews 11 definition of what true faith is. All right, so let's go to Hebrews 11, and let's just work our way from beginning to end. All right, starting verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. I'm going to stop there for just a moment, okay? Uh, this verse has been preached uh, so many times. This, is, this verse has been preached many, 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 many times, okay? This is a famous verse. That faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And the thing that it is often taken to mean, the thing that this verse is often taken to mean is that, okay, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, that faith is the belief that whatever I'm hoping for in prayer, it's the assurance that I'm going to get that thing I'm hoping for. That's how this verse is often preached, okay? 
So faith is, if I'm praying for, you know, my business is just about to go bankrupt, I'm sure God doesn't ever want me to fail anything, so faith is me having the assurance. I am completely confident. I talk that way. I, I, I think that way. I speak positively. But faith is the assurance that what I'm hoping for in prayer, that's what it, that it's going to happen. It's that confidence. Okay? Now, certainly, you know, if this, if this verse was all by itself, uh, you know, actually, it just, remi- it just reminds me, actually, of a, of a book I read uh, when I was younger. And, uh, I, and the guy who wrote this book was a godly man, very godly man. I have a lot of respect for him. He bore a lot of fruit in ministry, and uh, I learned a lot from him. But certainly his theology was, was a little bit tainted by this kind of faith thinking. And I remember in one of his books, he talked about having uh, belly faith, how whenever you're going to pray for something, you've got to have belly faith. And so he had all kinds of examples from his life of tremendous miracles that God done in his life that you have to have belly faith. If you want God to do this miracle or do that miracle, you've got to have belly faith. You've got to be just convinced to the core of your belly. You can just feel it in your belly that you are going to get what you're going to have in prayer. Okay? And so I remember I, I read this as a young man. I wasn't married yet. I, just a young adult. I forget how old I was, but maybe 19, 20, somewhere in there. And, uh, and I thought, oh, yeah, and he had, so many great, he had so many great stories, and he used this verse, and so faith is the assurance of things hoped for, so when I pray, I've got to just mm, believe that I'm going to have it. And I remember I tried it for a while, and it just felt so forced. You ever, you ever try that? You ever been under that kind of teaching? I just got to believe. Okay, Lord, I'm, I'm praying for this thing over here, and you just, mm, I got to belly faith this thing. And it just felt so forced. And eventually it just kind of fell by the wayside. I didn't know, how to, I didn't know what to do with that kind of teaching. It's, there's lots of it out there. I didn't know what to do with this verse. I just thought, I mean, it seems to be true, but it doesn't really work for me. It doesn't really work for me. Well, the problem is that this verse, when you take it by yourself, it certainly can be used to teach that. I mean, certainly if you just take this passage all by itself, it certainly seems like faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Whatever I'm praying for, if I'm confident for, that's faith. But if you, put, if you read the rest of the chapter, see, the rest of the chapter, the writer of Hebrews goes through example after example after example where he expounds on this. And if you don't look at those examples and put them together with this verse, you won't realize that the things hoped for there, that phrase, things hoped for, is not a general phrase meaning whatever it is you hope for. If you have any kind of hope for something good in this life and you're praying for it, then faith is the assurance that that thing's going to happen. That is not the things hoped for that is talked about in this passage. Yes, there are times, and I've said that again, there are times when you're praying for a healing and God speaks to you, his spirit comes, you have faith that the healing's going to happen. Yes, that is an expression of faith. But that is not the things hoped for talked about in this passage. The things hoped for there in this passage that he's talking about here is a very specific hope. It's not just any hope you and I could possibly have in prayer. It is a very specific kind of hope. And faith is the assurance, not of any kind of hope being answered in prayer. It is the assurance of a very particular hope certainly coming true someday. And I want to show you that and what that specific hope is. And so we're just going to work through the examples that he speaks of in the rest of the chapter. So very first Example, verse 4, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, 
God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Okay? So, first example of a person of faith in Hebrews 11 is Abel. You remember Cain and Abel. Okay? Now, first thing is, is the sign of Abel's faith that we read up there is the sign of Abel's faith, the fact that whatever he prayed for, he hoped he would get it, and he got it. No. Do you know, did anybody know how Abel's life ended? His brother murdered him. Okay? This is a person of faith, the first person in the hall of faith, is a person who was murdered by his brother. This is, at the example of his faith has nothing to do with him getting all his prayers answered or him being healed or God turning everything out good for him. The thing that makes the sign of his faith, in fact, here, is what? That he gave an acceptable offering to God. I want you to notice that. The sign of Abel's faith is not what he got from God. It's what he gave to God. Does that not radically alter your perception of what faith is? Because again, I'm not just talking to prosperity, word of faith type people. I'm just speaking to regular Christians. Normally when we use the word faith, we are talking about an assurance of something I'm going to get from God. I'm going to get a healing. I'm going to get, God's going to come through for me at the last second to make this business thing work. God's going to, and often again, he does do those things. And I love that when he does that. But that isn't what faith is. Faith isn't what I'm going to, the assurance of what I'm going to get from God. It's what I give to God. The sign of Abel's faith was that he gave to God out of the first and best of his flocks, unlike his brother Cain. The sign of Abel's faith was what he gave to God. He gave to God of the first and best portions of his life, and God said, that's faith. And then his brother killed him. His brother Cain killed him because of his faith. His faith directly led to his death. Because he gave a good offering to God, God accepted his offering. Cain got mad. Cain killed him. That's faith. Well, it's Let's go to the next verse. Let's read the very next example, Hebrews 11. What is faith? Is faith the assurance that whatever I pray for and hope for, I'm going to get? Next example, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. What was the sign of Enoch's faith? Again, we, don't, we see nothing here about Enoch having believed that he would get whatever he wanted in prayer. We see no examples here of, of Enoch doing great things through prayer, even though certainly that is an expression of what faith is. I want to say that again and again. But that's not what made Enoch a man of faith. It was not that he prayed with strong belief. That was, it's not mentioned here, his prayer life. The thing that made God say Enoch was a man of faith was what? He lived a life pleasing to God. That's faith. Faith is not what I'm getting from God. Faith is how I... And if you go back in Genesis and see how he lived, Enoch lived an incredibly righteous life walking closely with God. You want to be a person of faith? It's not working up a strong feeling while you pray that you just believe God can do great things in prayer. That is certainly part of what faith is, but that isn't the core of what faith is. The core of what faith is is if you're a person of faith, you are so obsessed with God's kingdom that you live in righteousness, holiness, purity, godliness, and relationship with Christ every day here today. And you live a life pleasing to God that's faith. Not what you got from God, but what you are giving to God. Next example, we keep going. Noah. Verse 7, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So what did Noah do that was by faith? Was it the prayers? Was it the feeling that God could do anything that he, that he prayed for? That is not what it says here. The sign of, Mo's, of Noah's faith was that he what? He obeyed in reverent fear. 
God said to Noah, I am going to judge the earth, and I want you to build an ark. The earth has never seen a flood like this before. Nobody's ever heard of a flood. I'm going to send a flood. I'm going to send something nobody's ever seen before. I'm going to wipe out humanity because of the sin. I want you to build an ark. If you look in Genesis chapter 6, it, it probably took Noah, we don't know for sure, but it could have taken him up to 100 years to build that ark. Think about that. For 100 years, everybody around Noah, all of his neighbors, you know, everybody in town is making fun of him. We know that, Mo- that Noah was preaching repentance. Everybody hated him. Everybody thinks you are a nut. Why are you building this ark? Stop being so bigoted. Stop telling us that we're living wicked, li- sinful lifestyles. Noah was hated. Noah was laughed at for like 100 years. But in reverent fear... He was so convinced about the reality of who God is and God's kingdom, he said, I'll take the abuse here for decades. I'll take the abuse. I'll be the odd man out for decades, and I'll build this ark, which everybody thinks is ridiculous, and I'll make everybody feel like I'm judging them because I'm telling them they're all going to die if they don't repent. Imagine that, someone just coming along and saying, God's going to kill you all if you don't repent. I mean, that's a, popular, that's a good popularity message, hey? I'll do all that. He was so obsessed. That's faith. I'm so obsessed with the next life that I'll give everything up, all of my comfort and popularity in this life so I can live for God. He obeyed in reverent fear. And God said, that's faith. That's faith. Faith is being obsessed with the next life so you give your life to God in this one. That's what faith is. It's not a feeling of confidence, though sometimes it is expressed that way. That was Noah. Let's keep going. Abraham, next verse. By faith, Abraham obeyed. Not by faith, Abraham was one of these super spiritual guys who just prayed real loud and believed everything he was praying was going to get answered. No, that's, that's not the definition. By faith, Abraham obeyed. That was the sign of the faith. When he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going, by faith he went to live in the land of promises in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. What was the sign of Abraham's faith? Are you starting to see a pattern here? Sign of Abraham's faith was not a strong feeling of confidence that God can do miracles, although, again, that is part of it. Sign of Abraham's faith was that he obeyed. And he was so, he was so, well, I'm going to get to that because we're going to come back to Abraham in just a bit. Let's keep going. I'm going to skip a few verses here because we can't get to all of them, but just skip a few here. We're going to go ahead to Moses, verse 23. I'm going to come back and read some of those verses in between there. I'll show you why in just a moment. But first, Moses. Verse 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So how did Moses' parents exhibit faith? They disobeyed the king. They were not afraid of the king when he told them to do something wicked. Faith. God says, faith. Next verse, by faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt for he was looking to the reward. What is faith? Faith is not, again, the sign of faith is not Moses, how he felt when he prayed about big things. The sign of Moses' faith was that he was willing, he was so consumed with the heavenly city, he was so consumed with life after death that he was willing to trade in all the treasures of this life for that one. That was the sign of his faith. He despised the treasures of Egypt. He would rather have the reproaches of Christ. And I love that phrase there, by the way. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. You know, when you, what, 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 is, what is he talking about there? The reproach 
of Christ. What a powerful line. Moses considered the shame and abuse and hardship that come in this lifetime with identifying with Jesus. Isn't that true that those things come with identifying with Jesus? If you want to identify with Jesus, and I don't just mean the kind of the, the namby-pamby, you know, identifying with Jesus that some people do in our culture now, where they just sort of use the name of Jesus and they sort of attach themselves to him in some kind of weird way, but they don't attach themselves to his teachings or how he really lived or his exclusive, uh, you know, claims to truth. If you attach yourself to the real Jesus and what he stands for, teaches, and who he really is, that he's the only way of salvation, if you stand for Jesus in this world, you will get shame you will have hardship, and you will face abuse. That's the reproach of Christ. And Moses made that choice. I'll take the reproach of Christ. That's better to me than the treasures of Egypt. He could have had popularity, business opportunity, money. He could have had it easy. He was the one in power. He was with the royal family. Everybody, you know, bowing to him in the streets. Everybody loving him. No trouble. Always enough to eat. Always lots to do. He could add all that. He said, you know what? I'm going to trade in the treasures of Egypt for the shame and abuse and hardship that come ident with identifying with Yahweh and his people. I'm going to identify not with the cool people. I'm going to identify not with the holders of power. I'm going to identify not with the wealthy and, you know, all the cool people. I'm going to identify with these slaves because they're the people of God. And I'm not going to be ashamed to stand for Yahweh. And I'm not going to be ashamed to identify with these people rather than these ones. He considered the reproach of Christ greater than the treasures of Egypt. That's huge. That's huge. And so I was asking myself this week, do I have faith? Faith is not some strong feeling that I get when I pray. Faith is, do I prefer the reproach of Christ to the treasures of to the treasures of Egypt. Now, the question we have to ask ourselves is why? Because it's really important now that we get a motivation because, I mean, was Moses just super spiritual? Was Abraham just super spiritual? Noah super spiritual? They just loved abuse. They just, Moses is like, oh, please, you know, give me some shame. Give me some hardship. Give me some hungry times. Give me some poverty. You know, give me some people hating me. Give me some people, you know, let's not be popular. Let's not, no, no. The, the people in Hebrews 11 are not masochists. They're not mentally unbalanced. They're not people in need of help, okay? There's a reason why they go for the reproach of Christ rather than the treasures of Egypt, okay? And the reason is right there in that last line. For he was looking to the reward. For why? Because. Like that's the whole answer there. He's got it right there, verse 26. Why did Moses do that? Why did Moses take reproach of Christ instead of treasures of Egypt? Because. For he was looking to the reward. And that's what I've been defining for you what faith is. The bare essential core, the heart, apart from which faith is no longer faith. Yes, it expresses itself in various ways. And sometimes it expresses itself in a strong feeling of confidence and God does miracles. I love that. that those are the best times of faith. But the bare essential core, the heart of what faith is, is you are so looking forward to a better reward that you give up lesser rewards. So let me take you back to Abraham and let me show you this. Because again, this is not just one little line in Moses. This is the entire heart of Hebrews 11. And if you don't get this, you don't get Hebrews 11. Let's go back to verse 8, what we read about Abraham. And the writer of Hebrews 11 is going to expand on this definition of what faith is. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. 
And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promises in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs of him of the same promise. Now we're going to get that word again, for, for, okay? If we could just put that up there, yeah, for, because, why did he do that? I skipped over these verses before. I wanted to look at Moses first. For, because he was looking forward to a specific city, the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. That's why Abraham did what he did. He was, so, he was so convinced. He got up in the mornings, whether he consciously, I'm not saying he consciously thought this every morning, but subconsciously, he was so convinced about the reality that there is out there somewhere a real city and a real God sitting in that city. There's a real city out there. That city is so much better than anything here. And the God who sits there is so much more wonderful and powerful and majestic and glorious than anything or anyone here that I will gladly give up anything for him and obey him here and take the reproach of Christ and the shame and abuse and hardship that comes with that so that I might gain my reward and citizenship in that city because it's a real city. That's faith! That is what faith is. Verse 11, By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith. So all of these had faith. These are the heroes of the faith. They died in faith. Now look at this. Not having received the things promised. Faith is not a feeling that you're going to get everything you want from God in prayer because the heroes of the faith died without getting all the blessings. Oh, they saw some blessings. They saw some miracles. They saw some, you know, big deliverances, but according to Scripture here, they actually died not having received the promises. See, faith is not a feeling of confidence that I'm going to get everything God promises because they all died without getting their promises. Not having received the promise things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth, why did they not get the promises of God? Because, because, because they were living for a different set of promises. They were not living like many Christians today are for the promises in this lifetime. Oh, I want God to bless me in this. Oh, I want God to make my business succeed in this. And yes, often he does want to do that, and we've got to pray, and I love when he does that, but that, those are not the promises we're supposed to be shooting for. These, the heroes of the faith, all died without getting those promises because they despised those promises. They wanted better ones in a real city that is to come, which is why it says there they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Think about that. Think about that. Because remember, the heroes of the faith, and I, and I talked about this last week, when you are reading this chapter, you are, should not be reading this as, oh, those are the superheroes of the faith, and I'm just regular me. It would not, these things were written for us. These were normal people. This was not superhero faith. This is what normal faith is. This is what normal people, this is normal faith. They were strangers and exiles on the earth, so obsessed with the next city, the coming city, the coming kingdom, that they actually felt and acted like and felt and went through life like strangers and exiles here because they didn't have popularity here. They didn't have it easy here. They weren't shooting for that. They considered themselves just to be passing through. Verse 14, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. This is, do you see this? This whole chapter is about one thing. The bare essential core, the heart of what fat faith is. They were seeking a different homeland. They weren't seeking to be at home here. 
If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they could have, had, they could have gone back. If Abraham had wanted you know, reward in this lifetime, if Moses had, had wanted reward in this lifetime, they could have just turned around and gone back and gotten reward. They would have had opportunity to return, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, and I love this statement, therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. I was thinking about that this week. If, if someone asked God about you or me or us today, would he be ashamed to be your God? Would he be ashamed to be our God? Would he be ashamed to be my God? It says here, if you ask him about Moses or Abraham or Abel or Sarah or any of these people in this chapter, it says he's not ashamed, he's proud. You ask him, are you Moses God? I'm proud to be Moses God. Are you Abel's God? Are you proud to identify yourself with Abel? I'm proud to be Abel's God. Why was God proud to be their God? Because they were looking forward to his city, city, not the treasures of Egypt. And God was not ashamed to be called their God. I want you to notice, though, here, and I want to, I want to go, and we're going to go back to the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego story, but I want to finish off the last nine verses now of Hebrews 11. But before we go there, I, I want to say this. If you sign up for a life of faith like this, so right now I've kind of given you the theory of what the heart of what faith is. Faith is becoming obsessed with the next lifetime so much that you're willing to take the reproach of Christ in this one. You're willing to not just duck your head and go with the flow and get things easy and hopefully nobody attacks you and hopefully you can just be, you know, uh, you know, popular and prosperous and all sort of stuff. That's not faith. That's not faith. Faith is I'm, I'm, I'm so obsessed with this city that's coming. And I'm going to live to be a citizen there. I'm going to live for my reward there. The moment you do that, it is going to create something in your life here. It's going to create struggle and tension. Because now you're going to spend all of your days, you're going to spend all of your days living for a kingdom that isn't here yet. In fact, that kingdom is in direct odds. It is opposed at war with the kingdom that's all around us. So if you're going to become a person of faith, you're not becoming a person of strong feelings that whatever you want is going to happen. You're becoming a person who's living for a different kingdom and obeying a different king while living in the middle of a kingdom that is directly opposed to that king in that kingdom. So if you're going to live in the middle of this kingdom and you're going to live for that kingdom and the two kingdoms are at war, you are going to be involved in a struggle. That's what faith is. That's why when you go through Hebrews 11, and now I'm going to show you in the last nine verses, you won't find anyone, you won't find anyone in that whole chapter who is a person of faith, who God says, I'm not ashamed to be their God, you won't find one of them that lived a life that was smooth and easy and without struggle or tension. It's impossible. Because if you lived a life without struggle or any tension or conflict, by definition, you can't be living for a kingdom that's opposed to the one that's all around us. By definition, if you are a person of faith, you are in conflict with the kingdom that is around you because you're living for a different one. Now, of course, I'm not talking about being an idiot here. Some of you, your personalities, I need to just say that. 
I'm not talking about going out. Some of you are going, yeah, preach it, brother, and you just want to go out and cause trouble. I'm not talking about being a fool. I'm not talking about being a jerk. I'm not talking about not having the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and all those sorts of things. But I'm talking about if you live a life of faith, faith isn't a strong feeling that I'm going to get miracles. Faith is being obsessed with another kingdom and living for that kingdom in the midst of this one. So let's read the last nine verses of Hebrews 11 and just see this at work. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. And of course, this is the chunk of Hebrews 11 that everybody loves, right? I mean, Christians, this is the part, we read this part to get pumped up. Woo! Look at all the great things they did. Well, first of all, I want you to notice there that even the guys who got the good miracles were in a conflict. You notice that here? It doesn't say, you know, what more shall I say for time would tell me of all these people who through faith coasted through life. Through faith, they conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. It's a direct, uh, you know, reference there to the story of Daniel in the lion's den. You ever think about Daniel in the lion's den? So we love this story. We read that there. Yeah, by faith, God shuts the mouths of lions. Yeah, that was faith. But you ever think about this? It's not just faith that got the lion's mouths shut. It's faith that got Daniel into the lion's den in the first place. You ever think about that? See, it's not, it's not just faith that got Daniel out of the lion's den. It's faith that got Daniel into the lion's den. See, a lot of, and we miss that part. We like the part about the faith shutting the, the mouths of lions. We don't like the part about the faith got him in there in the first place. You know, I'm convinced when I think of it today, the way Christianity is set up here in the West, very few Christians, had they lived in Daniel's time, very few Christians today in the West would have gotten thrown into the lion's den. Because the king would have said to many of the Christians today, had they been living in Daniel's time, the king would have said, no more praying to your God publicly. And they would have said, okay. And, they, and that's okay because I'm just going to pray to Jesus secretly before I go to bed in my heart. That's what they would have said. And then they would have written articles and messages about why that's okay. It's actually okay for us to just pray secretly to God in my heart. It is okay to do that. But is that what Daniel did? The king said, no more praying to God. He opened the windows. And then what, what was it? was it? Did he live in an apartment? I mean, he didn't have houses and, you know, garages and garage door openers that nobody could see him. Was it his office? I don't know. He opened a window and he prayed loud enough and long enough and publicly enough that he could be caught in the act of praying. That's how he got thrown into the lion's den. If he would have just said, oh, you know what? You know, I, you know, I don't really like the law but you know what, I'm just going to go with it. I'm just going to pray secretly to God in my heart now. Just be fine. There would have been no story of lions' mouths getting shut. It was faith that got him into it. And then by faith, they quenched the power of the fire. That's a direct, uh, you know, reference back to the story we're right in the middle of right now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. By faith, they quenched the power of the fire. Here's what I know about that. Uh, you know, it's not just faith that got them out of the fire. It's faith that got them into the fire. We talked about that last week. They could have just, just knelt and said, well, inside, I'm not worshiping. 
I'm just kind of going to go along with this because I want to keep my testimony to Jesus, so I want to be nice to everybody around me, and so I'm just going to bow down to this golden statue. That's not faith. Faith quenched the power of the fire. Faith got them into the fire. That's what faith is. Faith is, I am obsessed with that kingdom. So Moses said, I'm not just going to follow Yahweh secretly in my heart while I try to witness to all the Egyptians around me. I'm going to publicly stand up and take the reproach of Christ, and I'm going to go and live with the down-and-outers, the people of God. Can we keep going? Other people of faith were tortured. That's the next line. So some people of faith had enough faith to get themselves thrown in the lion's den. Other people of faith were tortured. By the way, these are the people God wants us to look up to. I think in many cases today, we're looking up to the wrong people. It's part of the reason we have the Christianity we have. We don't spend a lot of time in here. We look up to successful people by, who are successful by the world's standards and all kinds of different standards and nice people. These are the people we're supposed, that's why Hebrews 11 is here. These are the people we're supposed to look up to. Some were tortured. Look at this refusing to accept release. They were so obsessed with the heavenly city, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they may rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth and all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should be, not be made perfect. Life of faith is a life of struggle and tension with the world because the kingdom we're living for is at war with the kingdom we're living in. I know what some of you are thinking because I feel this too. I'm just, I'm just, I'm a regular guy just like you guys. And all the people in Hebrews 11 were regular people too. They didn't like pain. They didn't like torture. They didn't like lion's dens. None of them did. They didn't like burning fiery furnaces. They were regular people like you and me. I don't like the thought of going through those things. You don't like going, the thought of going through those things. But some of you are going, this is so terrible. I'm afraid of suffering. I identify with you. I've told God many times in prayer. I say, Lord, I'm afraid of suffering. I'm not one of these, you know, super spiritual people that just prays, oh Lord, I want to suffer so that I can be more like you. I never pray that. I always tell God, please in your kindness deal with me as gently as you possibly can. I often pray that prayer to God. I don't, I don't look forward to suffering. But some of you are going, you know, I'm, I'm afraid. I don't like this message. I don't think I can live a life of faith in the fire like that. So then I just want to say this. Oh yes, you can. You were made for this. I was made for this. And there is an amazing promise. I want to give you now an amazing promise, incredible promise, that makes all of this worth it. Not just what's coming, but right now in this lifetime now. Not just the promise of what's coming, but it's also the promise for those who will live for that city, if they will live for that city now and take on the reproach of Christ rather than the treasures of Egypt. There's an amazing promise. It's also in Hebrews. Hebrews 13, 5, For God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. You know what the Greek word for never there means? Never. <laughs> I did a big word study on that this week. It just means never. 
I'll never leave you or forsake you. You're going to live for his kingdom. You are going to get put in a lion's den. You are going to get put in a furnace. And God says here, when you go in, not if, when. If you're living a life of faith, you are going to get in trouble because the kingdom you're living for is opposed to the one you're living in. But when you go into that lion's den and when you go into that furnace, I will go with you. And we see this in the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego story, don't we? Let's finish that story off now. Verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay, so that's, that's a hot fire. You know, I sometimes think, because uh, my brain just thinks this way. So how did they get thrown in? Okay, if these guys died on the way up. I mean, that's faith. Did they just jump in? <laughs> Like, I'm just thinking, because I, I don't know if my faith is that big. I think if they had all died and I was still standing there, okay, I'd be like, nee, 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 come and get me, and I'd be sitting right on the edge there. <laughs> anyway, somehow they end up, and I don't know if they poked him in with a cane or something, a long stick. But anyway, they, get, they finally fall in there, jump in there, whatever. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, It's true, O king. He answered and said, But I see four. We cast in three, but I see four. I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. That's Hebrews 13, 5 coming true, isn't it? Right there. God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. They put three men into the fire, but there's four there. You're going to live a life of faith. You're going to go through fires. You're going to go through lion's dens. But it's never going to be just you. If you're living for that kingdom and not this one, it will never just be you in that lion's den. It will always be you plus one. It'll never just be you and your spouse that's in that furnace. It will always be you and your spouse plus one. It'll never just be this church Southland that's in the furnace. It'll be this church Southland plus one. It's always plus one. I will never leave you or forsake you. We threw in three, but I see four, he says. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning, fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not harmed, had, had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their head, heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. So this is one of the cool times where they actually got delivered. But you know what? God would have been in there with them even if they had died. God would have delivered them even if they would have died. Isn't that true too? If they would have died, they would have just gone straight to heaven. It would have been better if they would have come out. Like they came out, they came back into a wicked kingdom. They had to live the rest of their lives still persevering to the end. If they had died, they would have gone straight to the heavenly city, which is the one they were living for. Do you see that? Either way, God goes in with them and either way, God delivers them. In this one, we get a cool story. Verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies, that's faith, and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree, and I love, (laughs) 
you know, I don't love Nebuchadnezzar, but I just love his personality, okay? I think if I was a wicked, evil tyrant, I'd be a lot like him. He says this. He just swings the other way. First, it's everybody better bow down or I'm going to burn you to death. Whoa! Cool! Any people now or nation or language that speaks anything against this God shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. How did they advance God's kingdom? Was it through going with the flow and trying to be nice? It was through standing up. So I want to leave you with a challenge. I like to leave you with challenge messages like this. This one's an easy challenge. And uh, some of you have complained that it's not up there long enough. Take a picture of it with your cell phone. You all have it here. You all turned it on because of dad before. <laughs> They're also going to put it on after the, the worship, but they always do that too just in case. But anyway, here's my challenge to you. I just want you to prayerfully read and meditate on the first six books or chapters of the book of Daniel. Okay, and that has the story of the furnace. That has the story of the lines and a few other stories of faith. But I would just challenge you this week to prayerfully read and meditate first six chapters of the book of Daniel. And there's other questions you could ask God too, but just to kind of get you started, just a few questions for you to ask God while you're prayerfully going through the Word. If I can just get you into the Word of God and get you praying and get you open to it, God's going to do huge things in your life. These are the stories that encourage us to live lives of faith. Where am I in these stories? Ask God. What are you saying to me? Where am I in this story? What's my lion's den or fiery furnace or whatever? And where are you in my furnace? Because you have said you will never leave me or forsake me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would make us people of faith, real faith. Not just people of strong feelings, uh, but people who are so living for a different city, so living for your city and citizenship in your city that we willingly yield up our bodies in this lifetime. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.